What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. When she said, there's nothing we can do, our ultimate goal will be to make him comfortable, we don't think he'll make his first birthday. Welcome to the I Did Not Sign Up For This podcast, a weekly show dedicated to highlighting the incredible stories of everyday people. No topic is off limits. Join me as we explore the lives and experiences of guests through thought-provoking, unscripted conversations. I'm your host, Carling, a Canadian, queer-identifying, 30-something-year-old, providing a platform for the stories that need to be heard. Hey, Lindsay. Hey, Carling. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. You are my first intro guest. I don't know what to call it. My my first intro guest. Guest. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. Yeah, last week was my first time doing a solo in solo intro as a solo podcaster. I'm playing around with different concepts. I had a lot of people reach out to me offering to help. And so I've got several weeks lined up of folks that offered to do intros with me. Yeah, that's awesome. You didn't so much offer, but I think just by being my life partner. Yeah, it's like accessible. And you've done it before. You've filled in as a guest co-host. You've been a guest on my Patreon. So I just thought it was a natural fit. Yeah. And I do Wet Wednesdays with you. Yeah. So every week I'm going to pose a question that's like a little get to know me and get to know whoever is guesting with me. All right. And so I want to know what is the furthest place you've ever been? I've been to Japan and I've been to Australia. And I don't know which is further from... Calgary. But I went to Japan in 2000. My aunt and uncle were living in Japan at the time. That's amazing. Yeah. So I got to go with them and we rode the bullet train. We went to Hiroshima. Yeah. Like you became fluent in Japanese. I became very fluent in Japanese. Do you know what I say when I say Genki Deska? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) All right. Just repeat after me. Genki Desu. Genki des? Yeah. So I'm going to say Genki deska, and you say Genki des. Yeah, that's great. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to explain. I hope somebody that's listening knows Japanese and tell me if I butchered it. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I was only 18 and I wish I, I feel this way about both my like overseas trips that I was older and could now go back as an adult. Mm. And so like that I was either older and could appreciate the things that I was seeing more. Yeah. And then also, can I go back as an adult? Yes, I can. Just, I don't have any money. Yeah. I'd like to go back as an adult, relive some of the things that I already saw because I'd have a different appreciation for it, I think. Like, when I went to Australia, I didn't know that eventually I would go to cooking school. Like, I was, it was the summer after I graduated high school. I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. I thought you went to Australia with your cooking school. No, sorry, Japan. Japan, Japan, Japan. Oh, okay. Okay. I almost caught you in a lie. Yeah. Who are you even? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I did. So when I went to Japan, I had just graduated from high school. We went to the fish market and I ate sushi for the first time, like fresh out of the yeah. like the market. I wish that I knew that I was going to have, I just wish I had a better appreciation for the food and things like that that I was eating. That's cool. Yeah. And then I went to Australia with yeah, the food program and the year that I was in school was to Australia and it was so fun. We yeah, like that sounds fun. Yeah. Visited fourteen wineries and one brewery in ten days. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Where wow. have you been? I went to Europe. 
Again, I guess from Calgary, I don't know geographically, which is technically further. I didn't go to university right away after high school. Instead, I worked my butt off, saved money, and then ended up going twice. I went the first time for three weeks. And then I went back a year later for five or six weeks with Dale, who is one of our patrons and podcast supporters. We went to England, Scotland, Holland, Germany, Spain, and Italy. Oh, yeah. And I was supposed to go to France, but I was drunk on a beach in Spain and everybody was telling me, don't worry about it. <laughs> Just stay here. It's so much better. And I was like, yeah, that does sound great. Yeah. And so I extended my Spain stay by four days and canceled France. Oh, okay. But I do I wish I could go back. I, like, I can go back. Yeah. I, you're right. But you're able to do it so cheap when you're young yeah. because I stayed in hostels and like some of the conditions don't know that I would stay in today and they have age limits. Like I think a lot of times you have to be like under 25. Yeah. I've got my cousin, they have a condo in Spain. <gasps> That's right. And Caroline the aunt and uncle that I was in Japan with now live in Germany. Yeah. So we need to do Europe. Yeah. Like we need to find I out when, what, how, when, <laughs> yeah. but we need to. Yeah. This sounds great. Yeah. And the nice thing, so we have quite a few, I keep saying we, I have quite a few listeners in Europe for the podcast. So for anybody listening who's in Europe, to fly from like England to Scotland was 20 Canadian dollars. But for me to fly from like Calgary to two provinces over to Manitoba, $500. Yeah. Like we want to go to Manitoba every year. Mm. want to go to Ontario every Not year. Possible. I think feel like we make it possible by going broke. But, <laughs> yeah. Fair. Okay. But I, it, what ends up happening is I, so I have not now in over 10 years, I haven't left North America because right. it's so expensive to travel within North America. And I, my preferences are to go to my cottage in Ontario. Yeah. I'm like family. Yeah. yeah. So that takes precedence over these big, like, overseas trips, yeah. even though they're cheaper. Yeah. I think. <sighs> what I'm getting out of this is that <laughs> we just need to win the lottery. Yeah. Did you hear see that yeah. 18-year-old in Ontario? Like, I think she's too young to appreciate it. Yeah. When I was 18, if I had won 18 million or whatever. It was shoot. like 43, but yeah, same thing. God damn. Okay. Even well, if I had won $100 when I was 18. Yeah, I would have like, blown it. Yeah. So this episode comes out on Tuesday, February 7th, but we're recording this on Monday, February 6th. It's kind of a crappy day because it is one year since my dad died. Yeah. Like, it's crappy. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> yeah, it's not great. No. And you're so great because you took the day off with me. Yeah. And so many people have reached out and are so kind. And I didn't know, would I cry all day? Would I just want to hide in a hole? Did I want to order ice cream? But it's actually been a really fun day. Yeah. I like slept in a little bit and then we went to the dog park. I just think like having a nice reflective day where there's no requirements to cry or not cry. Yeah. There's no expectation. So I've cried a little bit. My godfather Virgil phoned me and I, he was like, how are you? And then I started crying. But then also I got this really great idea. <laughs> yeah. That I think we should get into cold plunging. Is that what it's called? Like ice bathing? I think so. Like when I was a kid, it was like the polar plunge and it was like mm -hmm. this fun thing to do at the lake during the winter carnival one for one day. But this is but different. TikTok has told me that there are many health benefits to 
submerging your body up to your shoulders in ice. Mm -hmm. And it has to be at least 15 degrees Celsius. Okay. Is that what it was? I don't know, but it's cold. It's got to be real cold. Yeah. And so I see all these people outside. And so I have ADHD and maybe I'm just like riding this grief high, but... I just felt like today is the day. I've been seeing these TikToks. I haven't given it any thought, but I thought about today and this is the day that we're starting it. Yeah, we literally just got back from Home Depot and bought a bin that we could fit in. Yeah. Like, not together. (laughs) That'd be too big. That's too, yeah. (laughs) So I went on this journey. Do you know how hard it is and how expensive it is to get like a galvanized metal trough they're not cheap yeah i was still nervous about the metal aspect of it like i think the metal is gonna get too cold and burn your skin like i'm not gonna lick it no but i just think like sitting on it and having your like exposed skin against the metal like i think our i think the plastic bin that we bought was a better option yeah so i scoured amazon read many reviews nothing was same day delivery which was no good for me (laughs) because like i needed like it It is a thing that has to happen today. Mm -hmm. So you recalled that when we had been at Home Depot weeks ago, they had these really big bins. Yeah. And so we went and at least this way, like best case, it works until we can get something better and we end up with a really great bin for storage. Yeah. Yeah. Worst case, I guess it breaks because of the ice. But I don't think it's going to. I don't think it will either. And if we never use it again after today, we have something there to put Christmas decorations. I'm using, I'm going to do it. They say you should build up to 10 minutes, but I got to look into it. Do I start with 10 seconds? Do I start with 30 seconds? Mm -hmm. I got to figure that out, but I'm going to fill it with water, fill it with ice. It's out on the deck. I'll probably take a video or photo. In conclusion, (laughs) we are going to try this cold plunge. You said you'll try it. Yeah. You'll think of it. I'm into it. And it's got a lot of health benefits. But also, we're not doctors, so don't do this and then sue me or something. But yeah. Sweet. I'm into it. Yeah. I also wish that we had a hot tub so that I could do one and Mm, then the other. Sure. Or I wish that we didn't have five dogs. I love them, but there's poop in our backyard. And I I would like rather do like a snow angel in the snow and then jump in a hot tub. But I'm into this. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then just lastly, I have a Patreon. Oh, yeah. Uh. I, yeah, Yeah. I do. And it's a, you just sit back. I'll do this. This is, you're great. So the Patreon is a monthly subscription. There are three tiers to choose from and it directly supports the work that I do. As a thank you for supporting the work that I do, you get at least two monthly bonus, bonus episodes that you'll never hear on the main feed. You get um, entries into draws. We're giving away a copy of Jessica Jansen's book, who's actually the guest today. So all you have to do to be in the draw is to be a patron and you're in it. And so we're going to give a signed copy of her book away. We do a monthly video episode for the third top, what, the third tier. And it's called Ultimate Sufti. And the video... So for the month of February, we decided to try a cannabis version of Wet Wednesday. So instead of consuming a beverage while talking with special guests, we decided to consume a cannabis product. What we learned is that it is not a good idea. Yeah, I felt... I was like... Are we talking slow and moving this along really slowly Mm -hmm. or is my brain just slow? Yeah. Or 
And I couldn't stop laughing. You laughed a lot. Like you kept having a. And like I just rolled off screen to continue laughing because I couldn't stop. It was fun, but it was less. Let's have a really good conversation about a really cool topic over a fancy beverage. Yeah. Like I think we just it's. So if you are an ultimate softy and you or you sign up and you watch February's video apologies it was a hot mess but we were joined by special guest amanda from the we love to hate everything pod and julie from the resting bitch face pod so they are always a good time and they had fun and everybody had fun but it was crazy and i look forward to resuming our standard wet wednesday over a couple of glasses of wine yeah or a white claw or something. Mm-hmm. And for March, actually, we're going to have Jen and Tisha from the Now What Pod. Oh, yeah. yeah. We had drinks with them in Toronto. Mm-hmm. No, not last La- year. Like year before? 2021. Yeah. When we were in Toronto, we met them for dinner and drinks and had a blast. It was so fun. Yeah. So please check it out. And that's it. Sweet. I say we get on with this week's episode. Sounds good. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Hello, Jessica. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. It is so nice to meet you. I was telling you we have been following you for over three years when we started our podcast and we met a girl by the name of Shay who has spinal muscular atrophy. Since then, we've been following your story and how it's evolved. And then I think we just finally got brave enough to ask you is what it is. Am I that scary? I've been told I'm scary. So maybe that's why I hope I didn't scare you. But I'm always happy to do these things. No, I think you're not scary. But we were just these two little Calgary gals that didn't know what we were doing. So we know a little bit more now what we're doing. But yeah, yeah. time comes great experience. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Awesome. For anybody who hasn't heard of who you are, can you maybe introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, what you do. And then I'd love to start with Lewiston's story and then how it evolved into what you do now. Totally. This is always, I'm always like, when people read my bio, I'm like, oh man, that's so awkward. Because it's like, hey, look at all these great things I do. But I think as women, we need to get better at celebrating and being bold mm-hmm. enough to share what we do and make it the norm that we're excited to talk about who we are, how, what shaped us to get to where we are. The quick and the short version is I was born and raised just outside of Winnipeg. My parents and my brother are farmers there. So grow up on a farm, a grain farm with two brothers and, and amazing parents. When I was 21, I was young and dumb. I had $300 in my bank account and I said, I'm going to move to Calgary. I don't even think my parents knew that I didn't have a lot of money. I think they thought I had more than I did. So I moved here, no job, no no plan. Yeah, no plan in place, like such an idiot. Anyways, you do all these jobs and all these things. And I was at this great company and then they got bought out by PepsiCo Frito-Lay. And they're like, hey, do you want to sell potato chips in Edmonton? I was like, hey, I don't. That landed me at my job where I was at Jugo Juice head office. It's a smoothie company that was originated here in Calgary. And that's where I met my husband. Oh, did it start in Calgary? Yeah, 1998. Eau Claire was their first location. So it was actually my husband's uncle that started it with his best friend. And so very passionate about health and wellness and was really excited. Met my husband there at the time. I thought he was a pompous a-hole. He thought I was a stuck-up jerk. And then that story unfolds. You can read more about it in my book. But we obviously now are more than happily married. 
And we've been together or married for nine years, going on 10 this summer and had three kids. And in the process of corporate and the world of jobs and defining who I was and following my dreams, our second child fell ill. When he was two months old, we got him finally tested after a myriad of doctor's appointments and found out he had that same disease that Shaylin has, which is spinal muscular atrophy. Being diagnosed at two months is pretty severe, meaning the disease is progressing rapidly. And so when we were delivered that news in 2016, it was, we're really sorry, and there's nothing we can do. Our role as his care providers will be to keep him comfortable. That obviously, as a parent, rocks your socks off. And then you start asking all the questions, like, what the actual? I have filled in with colorful language. Yeah. And then that led us to our journey and fight for our son's life. And truly, that was what started, I think, pivoting my whole world into this focus of joy. And so I made a claim to my husband. I said, regardless of what happens with Lewiston, we're going to bring the joy. And at the time, we didn't know how. I think it was like, how do you bring the joy when death is knocking at your door? Mm -hmm. But I think in hindsight, and you step back from that, I think death is knocking at all of our doors. And some of us just get years and years, and other of us will get days, some of us months. And so with that in mind, I just pictured myself where my son was in a hospital room, not able to travel the world and go to Disney and do all these fun things. And so we just were like, we'll bring the joy right here. We can't change the circumstances, but we can change our response. And that has snowballed into the work that I do now. So I'm now a speaker, an author, and a coach. And I coach on joy. I coach on how to bring more joy in your business, in your everyday, as a mom, as entrepreneurs. And I know that my platform is used to help other people get unstuck and start living abundantly. Often we can't change our circumstances, but we can always change our response. And so mm -hmm. we've started a charity that's raised nearly $2 million since celebrating Lewiston's first birthday in 2017, help fund medical equipment and get kids moving with cr critical physiotherapy, and then poured money back into Alberta Children's Hospital. And in the interim, I've helped some wow. really cool major companies and launched this book. I'm working on my second and, you know, you're a mom. And then also I like scrub toilets and do the, <laughs> all the other things that aren't glamorous that everyone else is doing. Sometimes yeah. I have a cleaner, I'm not going to lie. But then there's just that side of me that I'm just living her life and having fun doing it. And so you said Lewiston was your second kid. I just can't imagine like you have one kid and everything goes well the way that they say it will. And then... What is that like? How do you go from expecting a typical, like you had the first time, and then getting this devastated blow, but then choosing to find the joy in that? What is that? What's it like getting that diagnosis? Because I think we're just sold this idea that you just get married and you have kids and they're healthy and they live a long life and then, you know, it carries mm. on. So can you maybe go back to that of him getting diagnosed, what that was like for you? Yeah. One thing you know to be true with Lewiston, it felt like nothing was typical because I had Swayze and then literally at, at four month postpartum, I found out I was pregnant with our second oh, child. So like Irish twins, basically. And we were told yeah. we would have fertility issues and not be able to. And we literally have the exact opposite where like we look at each other and we're making babies. So nothing <laughs> about it was typical. And then you're thrown into the mix. And I think it was just chaos, which I think anytime you're throwing any part of motherhood is it's chaos and it's beautiful. I think there's just a choice of embracing a lot of it doesn't always go the way you think it would. An example is, oh, my gosh, I'm never going to be the mom that has like goldfish and Cheerios in their car seats. My car seats are always going to look pristine. 
And then you're actually a mom and you're like, you know what? That's freaking impossible some days. And if my kids want to eat freaking Cheerios and whatever else it is going to be to take them to ensure they're not crying and losing their ever loving blessed minds. Yeah. And so I think it's like we paint pictures in our head of how it should be. And often, even without a diagnosis, it never is like that. And yeah. I think the beautiful part was um, we dis- we chose not to waste what was given intentionally of sitting in sorrow and sadness. Because when the doctors diagnosed Lewiston, Dr. Jean Ma out of the Alberta Children's Hospital, she's a pediatric neurologist, one of the most brilliant, wonderful, kind humans there is on the planet. When she said, hey, there's nothing we can do. Our ultimate goal will be to make him comfortable. They also said, which I consider this a blessing and choosing to believe that it was, they said, we don't think he'll make his first birthday. So he was two months old. So literally they were saying, hey, you have less than 10 months. And so I think with knowing that literally you had a ticking time bomb, it was like, we have a ticking time bomb. What do we have in front of us? And there were all these stories where you're like, how is this happening to us? Swallowed up by grief, could barely get up off the floor. But I just knew we had a choice and there was this nudge, which was what I wrote my book about. We're like, what if we responded to the nudges? And a huge part of what I talk about and preach about is like the nudges, the ideas that you have. That's where the joy lies. The joy lies and it's usually scary. It's usually uncomfortable. You don't have the full roadmap. But when you follow through on the nudge and then you keep taking action on it, that's where the joy was. And I think I just really woke up when Lewiston got sick and said, I'm just going to pay attention to every single nudge. We're just going to have a dance party every day. We're going to celebrate the small moments. We're going to celebrate that he made three months, that he made four months, that he made five months, that he's breathing another day. And so it truly was a catalyst for changing my perspective and our family's perspective and then how I wanted to show up in life. Wow. Had you grown up like that or were those values that you had in your family or did you really have to do a lot of work to develop this? That's a good question. I mean, looking at my parents, I think my dad always, this is my dad's thing. I'm sure we'll figure it out. Like he's a typical farmer, doesn't like share and shed emotion. His philosophy was, I'm sure we'll figure it out. And I think as a small business owner and then as a farmer, which is basically a professional gambler because you can do everything right. And then at the end of the day, like your chips are on the table and you're like, hope and a prayer the weather holds up and we don't have drought or we don't have, right? Yeah. So I think he's always had that mentality of, I'm sure we'll figure it out because he's always had to figure it out. And then my mom from a young age, I remember she would always be like, go get him, tiger. I grew up in the era where that was frosted flakes, right? With yes, the tiger. Tony the tiger. I, yeah. Yes. Okay. See, I'm dating myself. I was born in the 80s. But he always had this, oh, get him, tiger. And my mom would say that. And then she would say, you can do anything. So I think probably having that, not necessarily like training your mindset, but it was these messages that we were told then becomes part of your wiring and your DNA. And looking back, you're like, yeah, I do believe anything is possible. And that was probably because I just had this outrageous imagination and it was fostered from a young age that I could believe that stuff. I love that. That's really Mm -hmm. cute. I also grew up Mm -hmm. in the 80s, big fan of Tony the Tiger. That was a great (laughs) cereal. Like when you got frosted the flakes yeah. and you're camping or during summer break, it was like you were winning big time, big time. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. So Lewiston didn't make his first birthday, right? 
Sure didn't. He kicked the bucket uh, November 22nd at six months. And today's the day where I'm like, shit, this is our story. And other days yeah. I tell the story and I can barely get through it because I'm sobbing. But yeah, yeah, he unfortunately passed away at the Rotary Flames house, which is a hospice and respite care facility attached to Alberta Children's Hospital. And he passed away November 22nd, which was three days shy of six months old. Oh, that's so hard. Mm-hmm. My friend lost her daughter to cancer. And was at the Rotary Flames house. And I cannot say enough good things about that Mm -hmm. place. Like, what an incredible facility. It's world-class. I really do believe we have world-class pediatric care here in our province. And then to be able to have a hospice that offered the services. We never qualified for at-home care. So we weren't comfortable because he was, it was respiratory. And you need to be, like, watching him. It's, like, the smallest thing he could have choked. And so Ronnie and I, my husband, were like, we can't stay up 24 hours around the clock, seven days a week. So by having the care of Rotary Flames, it really helped us be parents and live, I think, as normal and as regular a life as we could for our daughter and for us and not be complete zombies, which unfortunately anyone who has medical children, they get burnt out and exhausted and it's a really tough road. But Rotary Flames really does pour into people and give them the ability to like refuel get their feet underneath them and have medical attention which is such a blessing yeah how did you go from personally and with your family choosing joy and taking those nudges to the love for lewiston foundation which is huge we basically lewiston passes away we plan an epic funeral my husband and i dance out of it it was really well attended we had people travel from all over we filmed it and we're able to share that video and it's on youtube and i think if you're looking for some inspo and just want to get like a swift smack across the face if you're having a pity party for yourself go watch lewiston's funeral um sometimes we need that i even have my own pity party and then i come across a story where i'm like what am i complaining about pull it together go for a walk clear your head have a sip of water and, and get going but it was this response to Lewiston's first birthday, where I think over social media, you see everyone hosting these extravagant parties that cost thousands and thousands of dollars. That is just outrageous. I know for myself, someone that struggles with mental health and depression and has, ha, has suicidal thoughts, I know that it's far easier to be proactive than to be reactive. And so part of that, I think, was being proactive, having great friends saying, how do you want to celebrate Lewiston for his first birthday? I love giving. I love serving. I think it just makes you feel good. How can I help other people? You help somebody, like, people often think of as an inconvenience, but truly I think it's the person that's being able to give. It, like, really refuels them and re-sparks joy in them. And so we wanted to give back to the hospital and we aren't independently wealthy and sitting on millions of dollars. So we're like, let's just host a party and the party we can raise money. And the goal was 10 grand. And that truly snowballed into, okay, hey, we've got something here. Oh, what else can we do? Where else can we affect change? Where are there other gaps where government isn't able to fund or insurance isn't funding? And my story is wild because previous to my son getting the diagnosis, I was very familiar with it because I'd been helping and serving a family here locally for nine years and knowing what their family had dealt with for nine years of not enough funding, not enough caregivers, too expensive to afford updates to the wheelchair vans, needed wheelchairs, but the bills were like five and $10,000. And then wanting to put their kids in activities, but needing special accommodations just made it impossible. And seeing the toll that it took on that family and on a marriage and on the family dynamics, knowing, hey, there's a gap here. Like, we can do some real good. And we have this story. I don't think it should be wasted. Wow. I love that. Do you find, I've heard a few people 
parents who have lost children use the term or the Mm -hmm. expression where they still had this need to parent the child even though they were gone. And I think that's like keeping their legacy alive. And do you does that resonate with you, that idea of you needed to do something with this parental need? A thousand percent. I think any parent's worst nightmare is obviously the death of a child, but people forgetting your child. Mm-hmm. And I have a friend, Kristen Hall, and she had said this. She goes, the death of someone occurs when we don't say their name any longer. So speak their name. And I think whether that's yeah. a child or a grandparent or a parent or a loved one, I really do think that's true, which is why I think you're like, okay, this is how we're going to honor Lewiston. This is how you are channeling that parent in you to want to care for and nurture. And I also think that's what's helped us navigate grief is that we still keep Lewiston involved. Like we set a spot for him at dinner at all of our special occasions. He's talked about often. His name is known. I think that brings great comfort and joy because... You don't want people to forget that you had a child. Someone's like, oh, yeah, you only have two kids. Mm-hmm. That's a common one. I'm like, no, I actually have three. And we're talking about yeah. a fourth. And they're like, oh, that'd be your third child. And I'm like, no, it would be my fourth child. Just because you physically can't see that wound or their grief doesn't mean that they don't exist. And so that's, I think, speaking existence into the name is so important. Yeah. And was it tricky navigating having your third? Did you feel like that? pregnancy really came with like a hesitation or fear? For sure fear. And I think my doctors and our medical team were really great. I'm like, if I want an ultrasound, they're like, yeah, let's get you an ultrasound. We decided to get pregnant naturally. Our kids have a 50% chance of carrying the gene, 25% of having spinal muscular atrophy. That was a scary test. And when we got tested, there wasn't really a ton of options for treatment. There were starting to be And so the landscape has drastically shifted, but there's definitely fear. And then even when we got the test back, this of like, what if they're wrong? What if it's what if it's actually positive and they told us it was false? And then how do you navigate that? But again, I think like with any type of worry, worry just robs you of the joy and the presence of right now and today. And so being able to swiftly not stay in that because I think you miss out on what's right in front of you. And I told myself, we're just going to take this a day at a time. And I think that that very much so helped. But you still didn't believe it. And even with milestones, once Hollis, our third, was born, I was like, okay, is he really good or is his head floppy? Those were signs. Mm -hmm. Is he strong? Can he hold himself up? You're like, I want to make sure this. And then you're like, could you just test him one more time? And so those were the things that are scary. And you do just have to trust, but your head will definitely play tricks on you. How old is Hollis now? He's three. He's turning four in April, so almost four. Wow. And how do you talk to Hollis about both your kids? Because your other kid would have been just little as well. So So how do you talk Mm -hmm. to them about Lewiston? So we have several pictures. We have his urn. We never chose a burial site because I was like, oh, I don't know. That was like there, that was just so overwhelming at the time. And I think we were yeah. medically tapped out from making decisions of, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Do you want to pull this? And so then you get to his funeral and you're just like, holy. And who thinks to buy a plot for their kids? You know what I mean? I don't even have a yeah. plot for myself. So I involved them in all of it, but we have his urn and we have pictures. And like I said, we set spots at birthdays and special occasions. And then because we have this picture up, we talk about him. And then I think the beautiful thing is the way we've designed our life. There's no right or wrong, but how we function, because we do a lot in his name, there's a lot of talk about why we're doing this and how Lewiston's life can help other sick kids. We live close to the children's hospital, so drive by it almost daily. And the kids are like, look, like there's a children's hospital. We can help them. 
and really involving Aww. them. Like they host a lemonade stand and, and hey, that money's going to go help sick kids like Lewiston. And Hollis is hilarious. He definitely had some speech development issues and still is working on delayed speech. But he's like, Lewiston dead. Lewiston up in heaven. <laughs> like just so real and raw and honest. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. He's dead and he's in heaven. And Lewis or Hollis will point up to the sky and he'll be like, yeah, Lewiston up in the sky. He's dead, mom. And you're like, yeah, definitely. That is accurate. Yeah. And so now you've got the Lewiston Foundation. And then how did that trans fur or evolve into you do coaching and you do speaking and was this always the plan how did that develop my whole life I wanted to be a speaker and I've told this story before but my mom six months before Lewiston was born I was like mom I really want to speak and my mom's like yeah you need something to speak on people climb Mount Everest or they're Olympians or they've overcome great tragedy and then this all went down and we're like oh boy I think truly just like stepping into hey I what I am is a great storyteller and I think really making our story relatable and just being really raw and honest. And so I started sharing that on social media in a really raw and honest way. And if you follow me on Instagram, I don't ever put filters on. I never have. Like, I just, I don't even have time to swipe to choose one. And I also just like, I want people when they see me in person to be like, oh, that's what you look like. Not, whoa. Because <laughs> I've had yeah. that happen to me. And I was like, what? that's what you look like. I mean, I've gotten it all. Oh, you're way taller than I thought. Oh, you're way heavier, bigger than I thought you'd be. Like, And I, I hear it right. all, which is hilarious. I wanted to just use our story to help other people get unstuck. And so a part of that is just telling people, hey, I'm a speaker and this is what I do. And I think I've just loved motivating and inspiring people, which is like this natural coach. I started coaching cheerleading team in high school we didn't have one at our school I went to Mennonite school and I was like cheerleading isn't about short skirts it's about motivating and having people rally behind each other for a common goal and I, I love that and so you'd call me kick-ass cheerleader or someone that like really likes to bring out the best in people and that's what I saw this combination between coaching and then speaking speaking from a stage you can affect thousands of people at a time and then coaching in small groups or one-on-one -on -one, it's like you can really dive into and ask them key questions because I think we're all brilliant and we all have these amazing ideas and we all know the answer. Sometimes we just need someone to externally process it. And I really look at football because our family's a football family, but like the coaches don't know necessarily how to play or do the positions well. You don't see Pete Carroll being a linebacker, but he knows how to pull the best out in his linebackers, right? Yeah. And so I think that's part of it. I'm not saying I need to be you or do you. But what I do say is I can ask you the right questions or I can give you the right training or I can do some research to say, hey, what do you need to do? And that's the beauty of what I do through coaching and speaking. Wow, that's amazing. And then through all of that, how do you fit in like being a parent and scrubbing toilets? What does that look like? Like anybody, it's wild and crazy. And I'm really good at asking for help. And I knew mm. a long time ago to run at the pace I I run at and to do the things that I dream of, it would take a team. So I have a very involved husband who has some freedom and flexibility. We're small business owners. He's involved in the restaurant industry. So it helps having a parent that like can bend and flex and is really involved mm -hmm. and loves to do all of that. And then our family, we lean on them heavily. My mother-in-law has helped us since basically day one of when I was teaching fitness and now taking the kids one or two days a week or helping us get time for date night. And then I knew, like, my schedule's wacko, so I, we got a nanny, and we have a part-time nanny now, and it's like, they do everything from folding my dang underwear to, like, 
stocking the fridge or baking muffins or doing all that. And then that enables me to be able to get in a workout. And then it's really about being good with your time and time management. And there's some weeks and months where you're like nailing it. And there's others where your life just falls into complete shambles. And I've just learned to embrace the seasons of it, right? Like it's not perfect, but we ask for help. I outsource what I can. And I'm being realistic. Those are really key things to be able to do what I do. I haven't read your first book, but what is your first book about? And then what's your second book going to be about? Yeah. So my first, I'm like, where? I have a copy right here. So my first book is called Bring the Joy. And it's really like a memoir. The kind of tagline was how following the nudges of your heart leads to an abundant life. And really inspiring people to live an abundant life because I say you have breath in your lungs and a beating heart. Like why waste what you're given and gifted? Because I know that there's people that would give anything to have what I have. And they're lying in a hospital room with a diagnosis that will forever change their life. At the end of each chapter, I wrote, we did a recap and it was, we told, called it the nudge. And what was the nudge that I had in that chapter? And then what was the choice I made? And then where did the joy come in? And I think that's a great way to look at life. It's like, okay, what's the nudge I have? Oh, I'm, I want to start this business. I want to start a podcast. Oh, I really want to do this project to help people in my community, whatever it is. And then there's a choice. Do you respond and how do you show up to that nudge? And I believe when you do, that's where the joy comes. So it's all about my journey to really following those nudges in a memoir style of basically here's my life, some funny stories about my Costa Rican lover and the on and off romance <laughs> with my husband. We call him Hot Ronnie. And the second book I'm working on is, is called The Hard Work of Joy. I think people mistake joy and happiness that it should just be easy. And mm. they forget that there's intention behind it. And so it's about 21 different chapters, not necessarily, but like these lessons that I've instilled that lead to a joyful life. Because as we've seen in the last two and a half years, a global pandemic can really mess with your head and hurt your heart and throw you off course. And so these are the things that I've done. Someone struggling with mental health and someone living with suicidal thoughts and wanting to not stay stuck in that and being really proactive. Here's the things I'm doing proactively. Not a medical professional, I'm not a therapist, but I think there's just everyday practical things that we can apply that can help you show up in a more joyful life. And I think the fact that you aren't a medical professional is so nice because sometimes hearing your own story through somebody else's experience can be more powerful than somebody who went to school for a long time. When they ask like a templated, yeah, they ask templated questions. I think part of the powerful part of sharing stories is like you can see yourself in that story. Oh, I struggle with that. Oh. Yeah, I, that was hard for me. To, oh, I'm navigating that same thing or something similar. And then you can put yourself rather than just being prescribed something or listening to because you're paying that person. It's like walking through their shoes and saying, oh, they were able to come through this. OK, I can come through this, too. Yeah, I like that thought about joy is work and it that doesn't make it bad. But your joy doesn't just pop out of thin air. You really have to sometimes find it and work for it, dig through some of the bad stuff, because I think there is joy in in everything. I feel like you need to be on the Glenn and Doyle podcast. I don't know if you listen to it, the We Can Do Hard. I do. I listen. It's <laughs> actually on my list of, I'm like, get onto Brene Brown's podcast, get onto Simon Sinek's, get onto Glenn and Doyle's, you like, get onto Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. Yes. So <laughs> maybe this is you helping me manifest and channel it so it can happen. Yeah. Listen, Glennon, if you're listening... <laughs> Me and Carlin think, and she says, so it should happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll put out all those vibes for you. I love it. 
What's one thing that you wish, I don't know, the world knew more about? My wish is that you don't know that the person that you're walking by on the street, that you're talking to at the office, that you're interacting on email, what they are walking through. And so I believe if you give grace, unmerited, undeserving favor, and truly just try to understand and get to know somebody rather than making judgment, it would make this world a whole lot better. Because I remember days after my son passed away and literally I just remembered feeling like a ghost being like nobody that sees me knows that my kid just died, but I'm trying to show up and do the thing. And it's like maybe the person on the street, their kid just died or they just got diagnosis or whatever. And so I think when it's really easy to be rude or not patient or have these insane expectations, if we brought that in where you're just like, man, I don't know what that person's walking through. So I'm just going to give them some extra grace and compassion. I think the world would be in a much better place than it is. And so I hope to inspire other people just to think a little bit differently, get really curious. And our thing with the foundation is to spread love, bring joy, and choose movement. And I think those are three really beautiful pillars to live a beautiful life. I love that. I remember my dad died almost a year ago. And when I left the hospice on the day that he died, I remember feeling like I went through the Starbucks drive through And I, the whole time I was like, they don't know that my yeah. dad just died. And they're just living their life. And like, it's such a weird feeling. And it has really shifted how I interact with people or make assumptions about what people are going through. So yeah, I agree. Isn't that powerful, right? Like you're just like, and in your head, you like want to scream it from the rooftops. But what do you say? Because people get awkward when you talk about death or and yeah. all that. And you're like, I want to tell you that my dad just died. And this is weird. And I don't know how to act. And I'm sad. And now I'm going through a Starbucks drive-thru. And I don't know if I should go through a Starbucks drive-thru. But my dad died. And I feel confused and lost. And my body's going through all yeah. these emotions. And so part of that, I think, is just getting curious and holding space. And it's okay not to know what to say. There's lots, lots there. I'm sorry for the loss of yeah. your dad. Any loss Thank sucks. you. Yeah. It's not great. But like you said, some days I can't even say it out loud without sobbing. And some days I'm like, for Father's Day, I got a cake that said part of the Dead Dad Club. I find humor right? when I can. Yeah. You're like, you know what? This today I'm choosing to laugh and, and crack some jokes about it. What was your dad's name? Dave. Dave. Did we say Dave's name yeah. so we keep him into existence and honor him, Dave? Yeah, I do try. I try to talk about him and with him and all of that. Amazing. Jessica, thank you so much for taking time. I know your schedule is so busy and I really appreciate being able to meet with you and have you on our show and share a little bit of Lewiston with us. Thank you so much. And th as always, thank you for asking about Lewiston. It's always an honor to share his life and now his legacy and I hope it inspired at least one person and to not do the journey alone my favorite quote is it's not the load that breaks you down it's the way you carry it and I, we've learned to carry a load a lot lighter by asking for help and so if you feel like you've got a heavy load don't do it alone reach out ask for help and take expectations off and you'd be surprised at who will help you along the way wow amazing all right I will let you get on with your day but thank you again and hopefully we'll be in touch really soon you got it. Cheers. Thanks again. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I hope you found our conversation informative and entertaining. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to follow me on all my social media platforms, share this podcast with your friends, and leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash I did not sign up for this. Your support means the world to me. Join me next week for a special episode of I literally signed up for this when I talk with Liza and Jenna, who competed in Rebel Rally, an all-women's navigation challenge using nothing but a map and a compass through the desert. 
If you want more interviews and exclusive content, don't forget to join the Patreon at patreon.com slash I did not sign up for this. Thanks and have an amazing week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hero.co.